The fourth annual Insight 222 People Analytics Trends Report is now available and free to download. It is your gateway to learning how to better invest and deliver enhanced business value through People Analytics. The report highlights the upward growth trajectory of People Analytics despite the challenging global economy. It also finds that measuring and delivering value is an imperative for impactful People Analytics functions. The findings also emphasise the significance of nurturing influential relationships with the C-suite and senior stakeholders to align with key business priorities effectively. And the report also details the eight defining characteristics of leading companies in people analytics. Don't miss this opportunity to revolutionise your people analytics approach with insights from over 270 companies representing 4,800 practitioners and 16.3 million employees. Download the Insight 222 People Analytics Trends 2023 report today and learn what it takes to achieve extraordinary success in people analytics. Go to insight222.com forward slash research 2023. Hi, I'm David Green and welcome to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. At the recent Unleash World show in Paris, a panel of CEOs concurred that hybrid work is now a core component of the employee value proposition. Research conducted by our guests in this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast finds that working from home is stabilising at about 25% of days, a five-fold jump versus 2019. My guest in this episode is Professor Nick Bloom. Nick is a Professor of Economics at Stanford University and perhaps the world's leading authority on working from home. With over 20 years of dedicated research on this topic under his belt, Nick has not only co-founded the widely referenced WFHresearch.com, but has also taken his expertise to the TEDx stage, consulted with numerous CEOs and companies, and has been featured extensively in national and international media. In this episode, which we recorded ahead of Nick's recent session at the Insight 222 Global Executive Retreat in Colorado, you can expect to gain a comprehensive understanding of the history and trajectory of remote work. We'll uncover the pivotal lessons learned during the pandemic and examine their lasting impact on the way we work. We'll also explore the current landscape of remote, hybrid and in-person working and debunk some of the most common myths. We'll discuss the evolving sentiment of executives regarding the future of remote and hybrid work and Nick will offer valuable guidance on how companies can develop, measure and evolve their remote and hybrid working policies. Nick will provide guidance on how best to survey employees on hybrid and remote working policies and practices, and will also tackle the thorny issue of compensating fully remote workers and explore Nick's research on the four-day work week. So, without further ado, let's get the conversation started as Nick shares his career background and path into the world of remote and hybrid work. Nick, welcome to the show. Uh, before we get started, uh, can you give a brief introduction to you, your background and, and your work? Yeah, thanks very much for uh, having me on. So you can hear I'm British. Oh, guess we're both British. We're both yeah. British. <laughs> we're both Brits in America. Um, I came over to Stanford University in about 20 years ago in 2004. I have been working on a number of things, particularly working from home throughout that period. To be honest, work from home was kind of quiet. It was not a uh, big topic until March 2020. And then it just exploded. Yeah. And then, you know, all I've been doing for the last three, three and a half years is 
talking to managers, talking to firms, collecting data, running projects, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But my world now, right now, feels very much like uh, focused on how to make this work. Yeah, and it's such a big topic. I mean, it's a big topic that we're talking about today, uh, today and tomorrow at the, at the retreat, really. Right. So as you said, you've been researching, working from home for 20 years. So let's start with a quick history. You know, what was the direction of travel in relation to working from home and how work was changing prior to the pandemic? So it was slow. So we have to, we pulled together different databases, actually, the historic American Time Use Survey and the American Time Use Survey going back to 1965. So incredible, but true, there was some working from home in 1965. You know, it's hard to know how much of it was farm workers and farmers, but it was half a percent. And what you see from 1965 up until 2019, it's growing. It's actually doubling every 15 years, but the base is really low. Yeah. So what's going on? Yeah, I'm 50. I was in, you know, my, my parents both worked from home a bit in the 80s. So that, that's the era of, you know, pieces of paper is kind of horrible. 90s, personal commuters, it's not a lot better. 2000s, you get the internet. 2010, you get Zoom, Teams, cloud computing. So by the time we get to 2019, we have most of the basic technology we have now. But we're not doing it that much. It's about 5 6% of days. And in the 2019, bang, we get this explosion in 2020. And then ever since then, it's been falling. And the last year of 2023, it's kind of flatlined. And, you know, my prediction is when Nike swoosh, and eventually it's going to go back up again. But certainly the last three years fell. But now the last year, we are flat. The, you know, the return to office trend is over. So we can almost call it the new normal then. It is the new normal. Yeah, I have this discussion over and over again. You know, we've now seen nine months of just flat data. So I think we're pretty confident to see it's the new normal. Okay. So let's talk a bit more about the, the pandemic and the impact it had. You know, obviously it led to the biggest work from home experiment in history. Yeah. Um, you know, what were the main learnings from the period? And, you know, and what will be the lasting impact you think on work? Um, I think the, the biggest learning is work from home works. Mm. So if you go back to 2019, which is really not that long ago, the sayings are like shirking from home, working from home, or you know, working remotely, remotely working. People are very cynical. Take-up rate was really low. Most organizations, you may have one or two people work from home, but they're normally on some special side deal they've cut. That's 2019. You've only got to go through it's three years now to 2023, and it's completely different. So... It's absolutely standard. It's part of the big three now uh, benefits, which you have healthcare, pension, and work from home. And people go through them. And I talk to recruiters and they say, you know, this has got to be part of the package. Yeah. You've got to pay 10, 20% more. So that is permanent. So now I think the thing is just to accept that's permanent. It will evolve a little bit going forwards. Any revolution, think of the steam engine, the electric engine, the computer, the internet takes time to filter through AI. It's going to be a slow process. Mm. But it's certainly a permanent rev revolution. I think the dust is settling. And so that's, that's one, in my mind, that's one of the big silver benefits out of the or silver cloud out of the pandemic in the sense that pretty much everything else has been truly awful. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess once people experience it, both from an individual level, but also from a, you know, a managed, managerial level, it's like, okay, people actually are working, they are getting stuff done and they are collaborating maybe it's sometimes better to collaborate face to face it depends on, on on different things i guess and you know and some are you know sort of leading on to to where we're going now i guess it's some are referring to the post-pandemic world of work as, as the hybrid era 
you know, where are we now with remote hybrid and in-person work? And you talked about it kind of flatlining over the last year. You know, what are the main trends that, that you are seeing around this? Yeah. So why did I? I'm going to be an economist and give you numbers here. Good. So good. Uh, you know, with, with the podcast, there's a presentation pack you can download with millions of numbers. But here's one number I like a lot, which is if you look at the U.S. labor force, so people aged 20 to 64 that have 10 plus thousand dollars of earnings in the last year, 60% of these are fully in person. So the largest block are fully in person. Who are they? They're like McDonald's, food service, security, transport, manufacturing, healthcare, etc. People whose clients or equipment or materials have to come in every day. Yeah. There's another smaller group, about half the size, this hybrid. Hybrid is probably everyone listening. It's everyone pretty much in our world. We must all Stanford University students, MBAs. These are people who classically would be coming in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, work from home Monday, Friday. Yeah, I would say much like ice cream, there's no one flavor of ice cream, but vanilla. Vanilla ice cream, you know, is probably about 20% of sales. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the office is like that for hybrid. It's, you know, it's not the majority, it's the most mm. common. And then there's the third group, which is uh, fully remote. Fully remote itself has two flavors. One is fully remote for college grads. So, up, you know, coders, pretty high-end people. They don't come into the office week by week, but they do seem to meet up every six, eight months. Right. So, so six, eight weeks. So, they might week meet every other month in you know, Barcelona or New Mexico or something. And the other half of fully remote is people that just never meet. They're like on call centers, on alley paid or on data entry and stuff here is hiring them per hour per person but that's really there's a, there is a continuum spread the biggest group by count is hybrid at 30 percent they are definitely the biggest group by wage bill because they're about 50 percent of the wage bill because they're so much more highly paid yeah. and you're actually producing every week uh, sorry every month is it wfhresearch.com if i get yes. that right every month sort of, of data that you're that you and your colleagues are collecting on a regular basis so you're actually able to talk about the pattern that we've seen over the well all, all the way back to to when you started studying this but particularly since the pandemic month by month so that flat line you, it's clear and then you expect it to you expect that to, and you talked about maybe a swish of, of, of it going up as well and why do you think this it will, it will be like the, the nike the nike swoosh yeah so to start off all economists love to show off about their data it's <laughs> like you know the time that they get really excited it's like uh, you know resource owners and their races economists and their data so we discovered in may 2020 the pandemic was just this completely new thing. The federal government statistical agencies were not equipped to deal with this. You know, they're great. I work a lot with them, but they cannot turn on a dime. So we set up the monthly survey of workplace attitudes and arrangements. We surveyed 10,000 Americans. We refined it. It's a pretty good survey now. The census finally got their act together in September 2022, about two and a half years later. They have a bigger sample, but their numbers totally align with ours. So, okay. yeah, I, I completely trust our numbers. So, we have those two. They each come out monthly. We have about 50,000 a month collectively. And what we've seen is the last six months, there have been a complete flattening off. Interestingly, the third data source I like, a very different location, is Castle swipe card data. So, every time you go into the office, you have to swipe to let in. Yeah. And these office swipe card just set up. So pretty sophisticated. They can tell your first time in and your last time out. And so they look at, you know, how, have you, if that's more than a couple of hours, that's defined as a day or more than four hours, whatever you want. That is running at about 50% of pre-pandemic levels and is also totally flat. So it looks like 2023 is the flat bit of the Nike swoosh. As you said, so we've declined because people have gone back to the office. We've flattened out 
for the last year. What's going forwards? Well, there's two things driving this big boost. And this is really important for managers, particularly senior managers looking five, 10 years out. So one is technology size effects. Yeah. So there's a classic in economics going back at least to Schmuckler saying, look, if there's a market for technology and that market gets a lot bigger, suddenly firms rush in and try and make new technologies to make money from that market. And if loads of firms rush into this market to say, hey, we can make some money out of it, the rate of technology progresses rapidly. And work from home is like totally this, is like the prime example. The number of people work from home has gone up fivefold, plus yeah. a lot of them are pretty high earning. So every hardware firm, software firm, venture capitalist, startup I speak to, I live in the Valley, it's like, this is a gold rush, let's get in. And so there's been an explosion of like new products, new software coming to service this market. And we're already starting to see it from holograms to virtual reality headsets to, you know, lasered cameras, all kinds of incredible stuff. Like I was in, I was in Zoom with Eric Yuan about a few months ago. And Eric was saying, oh, we have these secret labs working on all this stuff. And I was like, well, what's in these labs? Uh, I was hoping you might tell me all the secret stuff. And he was like, well, I can't tell you it's secret. <laughs> but... But there is this one thing we're hoping, which is you put your hand into the screen and your hand comes out the other person's screen. And I was like, really? Is that wow. true? That can't be right. And he just laughed at me and then moved on. I was like, I don't know. But he, I, there's so much stuff going on in these so he's firms. Teased, teased you. That teased you. I, <laughs> there's something like that happening. So five, 10 years from now, work from home will be much better. I predict, for example, those kind of Star Wars type holograms so you can holographically plot people up will exist. I've seen certain firms already starting to work on them. So that is the, that is one driver. The other driver is cohort effects. If you look at new businesses now, they're kind of businesses that are run by 30-year-olds, maybe 40-year-olds, and maybe have 50, 100 employees, maybe five startups. They are much more remote. Mm. And we see that very clearly in our data. The thought is, as these firms mature, some of them go bankrupt, but others for sure will grow and do well and grow into tomorrow's big firms. You're going to be seeing five, 10 years from now, you know, young 50-year-old CEOs that are kind of, you know, the next pin-up CEOs who are going to be making the media and be saying, oh, work from home works well for us. We've been through our trajectory and all of the employees and all of these companies doing the same. This podcast episode is brought to you by Equate the strategic workforce planning technology that helps you plan for the workforce you need tomorrow, today. Discover the power of your people. Ensure you have the right workforce to meet your purpose. Extend the power to plan to every corner of your organization. Learn more at equate.ai forward slash insight 222. That's EQ, the number eight, dot AI forward slash I-N-S-I-G-H-T, the number two, the number two, the number two. There's, you know, and obviously you're collecting data every month on this, and there's a lot of myths around remote and hybrid working. You know, what are some of your favorite myths on this topic, and, and what does the data say? Because obviously there are a few companies that are outliers. They get a lot of press, you know, when the CEO makes a statement. But actually, the norm, as you said, the, the data is flatlining. So I mean, what are some of the favorite myths um, that you've heard? And, and maybe how does the data maybe um, challenge that, perhaps? Ah, let's think. Um one myth would be every CEO wants to get their firm back to the office. 
So I'm going to put CEOs into two types. There is, it's almost like cartoon character CEO. So this is, you know, in the cartoon, maybe muscles are rippling, like, you know, their life is their work. They just ace at everything. They're maybe the school athlete. They've had job after job. They've just done all the way through. All they do is work. They are so successful, so hardworking. Elon Musk or someone like that has to fall into this category. Uh, maybe Jamie Dimon, maybe David Solomon. They are just super successful CEOs. Those folks, they just see their life as work. Yeah. It's really hard to get inside their head. They are working 100, 120 hours a week. Every day they work, I presume they're having a bath, they're thinking about work, they're biking, they're thinking about work, they're an Uber, they're thinking about work. You know, probably falling asleep thinking about work. It's like, I'm not sure. They're thinking about work while thinking about another work. It's just like, it, it, and so not surprisingly, these people tend to be much happier in the office mm. and they find they're happier when other people are in the office with them. So this group is calling for a full office return driven more by their own own personality than those around you. Then there's a second set of CEOs, which is the remaining 99.9%, who are most other CEOs you know, who are ambitious, are very high performing, but also maybe have married, kids, um, you know, an outside life, a hobby. Yeah. And they want to work hard and they're like, in their ideal world, we come in four days a week, but they get that their employees want to work from home one day a week and that's helpful for productivity and recruitment. And they're on the more in-office end of most companies, but they're not these hard asses that one in five days a week. And so classically, I end up talking to a lot of these places, whereby the CHR will say three days a week is what we find in the evidence. The CEO says four. There's often some negotiation hammered out, but at least that's not five. And at least it may be three, one week, four, one week, three, one week, four, one yeah. week, something like this or four. But we have two weeks a year, first two weeks of July, and it's really quiet anyway, where everyone gets to work from that. It's, the executive thing is interesting, isn't it? Because you recently published uh, or co-authored an article that was in the Harvard Business Review. And actually, you pu- published some data around executive sentiment around, about the future of remote and hybrid work as well, which actually suggested that they think it's here to stay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have multiple surveys. One is with the Atlanta Fed and the Chicago uh, University and Stanford University. I mean, it's called the Decision Maker uh, survey, or survey of business uncertainty. And we survey about a thousand CEOs a month. These are people who painfully cultivated up. They know particularly the Atlanta Fed, you know, they're friendly to Stanford or Chicago. We get them on the phone. Eventually, we get them on this very short online survey. Mm. You should think of these as CEOs or CFOs typically on two, 300 person firms. They're not like Elon Musk is not here. I doubt it. I've not looked, but you know, it's company. Pretty sure he's not you there. You might not get him to complete it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I think he's too busy. But you know, it's probably uh, the guy doing a shoe shine in the airport isn't here either. So, what do we ask these guys? We ask them, "Where is work from home been five years from now, pre-pandemic? Where is it now? Where is it in future?" What you see is work from home pre-pandemic is really low. So, work from home pre-pandemic goes up to now. About 4x, there's a big jump up. We all know that. We wanted to get our norm set up. You then ask them about five years from now, and there's a small further rise. And most individuals report an increase. They're like, why? This seems amazing. Like, surely these CEOs are calling for back in the office. When you go talk to them, they see things like, look, I'm going to make a business here. I have to make money. My business is focused on profits and growth. And offering employees hybrid and taking two or three jobs that we could done in person, that could maybe done fully remotely as a way to save space, save hiring. I can hire that person in, you know, Mississippi rather than Bay Area. 
um, I can hire people I couldn't otherwise get into, you know, two or three days a week. We instituted this, I don't know, four weeks a year, all remote in the summer. That's been great for getting new grads. Just a whole load of things that they suddenly said, I just, without this, I wouldn't, you know, I'd yeah. have a third less employees. So they're very practical. They're very much, I don't have a personal social view on this. It's not like I socially support it, yes or no. They normally quite like it. So they normally quite like to be at home Friday. But their big thing is just making money. And it turns out work from home makes money for companies. Yeah. And as you said, some of the benefits are the opportunity to maybe hire that person with those specific skills that maybe isn't in New York when you're, you know, that's where your company is right. located. You said, as you said, they might be in Mississippi, but they might really want to work for the company. They might have really, really specialist skills that they can bring and, and help you effectively be successful so obviously most of the people that listen to this podcast they're, they're HR professionals people a lot of people analytics professionals as well and, and we'll talk a bit more about the people analytics professionals in a minute but what guidance would you offer to business and HR leaders when it comes to developing measuring and evolving their their hybrid and uh, work work from home policies great question so let's say I got three three four so um, one is in terms of office design. It's slightly different. I just and then come back to a more directly question. So I would design the office to be set up to support more meetings. So if I think of Stanford campus, we have all these libraries. No one's going there to get books out, but you know, loads of people are using it. That's an individual person workspace. Mm. That's actually probably not the kind of workspace you need a lot of in, in, in firms. You want instead meeting spaces. I and mean, this could be a meeting space. Uh, you could put some you know, cover around it. You can make another one here and another one in the other corner, this whole area can make five or six meeting faces with partitions so that you wouldn't get too much sound pollution. Another thing would be Zoom booths. Mm. So glass side booths that we could put up a ton of them in here that I can take the Zoom call here and I didn't disrupt others, um, conference rooms, etc. So making it a place whereby people come in for social work, they feel like when I'm in here, it, it, it's good to connect with colleagues and co-workers. In terms of the three to-dos, the first is the importance of performance management. So pre-pandemic, you could manage a firm by managing by walking around. So if I'm like, you know, standing up, walking around, I can tell with David, you're at your desk working because you're here, yeah. typing away kind of Excel's in front of you, Word, something like this, or your head's behind your back, watching Champions League or, or you know, had you're, known. you're flirting with the corridor yeah. on the, on the you know, colleague on the other side of the partition, or I endlessly see you in the bathroom taking your phone with you doing who knows what. So managing by walking around turns out to be like the best way to tell what's going on often in the office. You know, I'm wandering around, I'm walking, I'm seeing what people are doing. That's like five out of 10. Yeah. So it's okay. I wouldn't claim it as great, but it's something. Now, if you have employees that are work from home, you can't do that. So what do you do? What you turn up to having to do is manage, rather than evaluate inputs, you evaluate outputs. So evaluate outputs can be 360 reviews, performance reviews, have you met your targets, et cetera. And when you move to that, it's a win-win for employers and employees. For employers, like managers, you know, you're my manager. So like, Nick, I don't need to meet these eight tasks. I, you know, I'm relatively indifferent how you do it. Just get on with it yeah. this week. I deliver. You're like really happy. It's good. My deliveries are there. Their quality is there. Everything's fine. I, on the other hand, if I play golf, they say, look, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to play golf Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning because it's quiet time and I'm going to make up for working on the evenings. Yeah. So I get to make you more use of flexibility. So fact one is like much more performance evaluation system. So more managing outputs rather than managing inputs. So that was one. We're seeing a big drift towards this already. Fact two is more the cameras on and Zoom calls. 
So if you have to have Zoom calls, and maybe some people are traveling or some are at home, I think it's important the camera's on. Our data, we have asked managers and employees the same questions. How do you feel about how your engagement is, whether you have your camera on and off, and how do you feel others' engagement is on with their cameras on and off? And it's completely symmetric. Mm. So like, amazing, all four times you get people having cameras on are much more engaged. So nobody is under any, any illusions under this. When you have a camera off, you're probably doing something else. Yeah. And everyone's like, I'm doing it, you're doing it, we all know it. There's no nothing to hide here. So it would just be a norm to- The days of conference calls without video. Yeah, I, I think that's gone. <laughs> now, I get it if you have you know 200 people. Yeah. Then you don't all want it on, and then that's a broadcast. So it's like watching TV, a town meeting. But if you're having kind of, I don't know, 30 or less, and you want contact from the, from the audience. And then the final thing is software to help uh, firms in terms of offices and organization. So in the last few years, there's been a growth of companies that are basically marketplaces for office space. So to give you an example, Strava, is the thing that does run tracking yeah. and bike tracking. And I know their CEO because he actually weirdly used to have my job ages ago. He was an assistant <laughs> professor at Stanford. It's like an office two doors down the road from him. And he quit academia, started his own company. And recently he started working at Gable, which are one of three of these desk management software companies. What he did is he said, we're gonna close down the Denver office. We don't have enough people going there. But folks wanna work in Denver, you go onto the Gable website and you just get an office. Gable's like Expedia. They yeah. just have hundreds of offices, yeah. tons of them. You look at them, the price, and you have an account, and you just pull one off. And he said it's really useful to do this for Strava because they can tell which locations uh, you can close down, get rid of offices, which locations maybe everyone's getting offices and actually need offices and should open them up. There's others, there's that Upflex, there's Liquid Space, you know. Time at McKinsey is always look at three, you know, when you're yeah. recurring these things. Another issue is, is just desk organization. So there are companies like Eden, Hydance, Cadence, uh, Scoop that help you organize where people are. Like if I'm coming into work, it's really valuable to know whether you're coming in or you're a colleague. So if I can open up a portal and say, Dave's coming in, I'm going to come in. And if not, if not. So again, it's not super complicated, but it's worth getting this up and running. So yeah, those are the three big things I focus on. So the other thing that's interesting is, um, so a lot of people are using spreadsheets. They're just using kind of low-tech spreadsheets, like write your name on if you're coming on on Thursday. So the downside to that doesn't alert me. I may actually set up an alert. Is David coming on Thursday? If so, let me know. A, the spreadsheet doesn't alert you that. B, um, you know, it doesn't alert you that maybe David and X in particular, if I really care about coming in, that's my team coming in. The other thing is more and more companies now are saying, for senior leaders, I get that you don't need to go in the office three days a week. There are a number of senior leaders. I see this a lot with law firms. The partners do not need to be in every day. In fact, they hardly need to be in at all. They know their clients. They've had their clients for 15 years. They know the law really well. Yep. A beautiful home office. They're really well connected. You know, they're all the lunches and they're going out. They're just often not going into the office. They're going from home into the lunch place and back for office. They're like, why do I go into the office just to sit around with a bunch of junior associates? And the answer is mentoring. Because the junior mentor, the students don't learn off the seniors. So... Another thing that's useful to have in some of these software programs is something that explicitly measures how many times a senior person is in the office when juniors are around and kind of has a very rough measure of mentoring. And so look, if you come in in an office when there's at least five juniors, uh, we're gonna give you an extra point of mentoring. We're also gonna, that's gonna be part of your, your talent development program. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. 
If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Many of the people listening to this episode work in people analytics. How should companies best survey employees uh, on hybrid and remote working policies and practices? I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we spoke. Um, I would have thought it's, you know, role means function. So you could probably flip through a few functions. So if you are, um, you know, a very deep end coder, you're uh, generating stuff that's really yourself and right at the end you develop the product or doing that with some marketing campaign or doing that product development, it may be you're best off being fully remote and coming in once a month to a company. Yeah. It may be the firm says, look, we want to live 100 miles from the company. So if something comes up, we can call you in. You don't really want you're in Argentina, but you can live 100 miles away. And then there's a problem, we'll call you the night before and you come in that day. And you get to live 100 miles away, but you have to be prepared to kind of drop everything and come in the next day. There's another group of people I think who do stuff that doesn't really involve uh, any teamwork, any collaboration, in which fully remote also may work well. And uh, GitHub, Upwork, etc., have been you know very focused on uh, fully remote. They tend to they require to meet in person every other month. So you've got to, even with the remote, you've got kind of a mix of fully, fully, fully remote and fully remote whereby they still want to meet up every six months, like, or four months. I have a lot of colleagues at other departments, mm. and I Zoom them all the time, and I don't meet them in any given week, but I certainly met them three weeks ago. And it's kind of funny that, thing, I mean, it shouldn't have had it, but, you know, to see that seeing them in person, you know, their height, what they look like, how they move, it kind of, when they're on Zoom, you slightly project that onto them, and you feel like, you know, the real person rather than the two-dimension. Then under hybrid, if you have employees that benefit from at least two days a week face-to-face, -face, I would say they're probably best bet from hybrid. And face-to-face -face activities that are better are working patterns that are training, mentoring, discussion, maybe sensitive stuff, mentoring. They are best does, done in hybrid. And it's important that you do that with people in your office. So positioning what you're saying there, Nick, it, it seems quite sensible for, you know, where, where possible for companies to kind of delegate decisions around this to the team level. I don't know if you, have you seen companies doing that. Yes, um, there's, a, there's a mix. So I think on the one hand, if team by teams operate relatively independently, so imagine your sales team and there's the Europe's and Americas and South Americas and within Europe's maybe you need to break up Germanic and French speaking, etc. That seems a pretty decentralized mm -hmm. sales team. And so there's eight people and they are targeting Italy. And there's no real reason why Italy team should you know have managed the same way as the uk team in fact uk and italy have different work from home practices different holiday structures i know and so they should be different there so that in that sense it's perfect um the sense in which it comes troubling is if you have a matrix organization course, yeah so in the matrix organization what you may find is look i was on sales 
but it cuts right across finance. Yeah. And finance can't do all my markets, and you know, that's connected to engineering and everyone's connected. There it gets higher. There can be options. So some options is doing it country by country because the people in the matrix you work with most are in your country. Another option can be just having one global pattern. And the downside of one global pattern is actually religious days vary a bit. I don't, I see some firms doing a, a, a national day. I mean, the upside, the other side, by the way, in terms of a national day, is a lot easier to manage and monitor. Mm. So just as a CEO, and I thought to CEOs, they find it really hard to know what's going on. And they walk into an office and some offices are buzzing and yeah. people are there and some are no one there, some one person says, well, that's their work from home day. It's like, well, every day I work in, there's nobody there. Like, well, every day is their work from home day. It's like, well, like that's, you know, while I'm walking around, I'm trying to figure this out. So there is a certain simplicity and ease of execution for everyone having the same day. On the other hand, flipping back, if you choose individual days, and it turns out that people don't overlap. And if you're lucky, they overlap in a way that enables you to save a bit of space. You know, saving space is a kind of an afterthought. It's generally unpopular because saving space requires the clean desks, which people don't like. It has some security implications that people don't like, et cetera. But yeah, if people naturally, in Stanford, for example, in naturally one of the areas, the IT folks are so remote and so um, sharing desks in a way they're not bothered and they just kind of pick their own individual desks that by law of large numbers we found a kind of a bit of a building's just empty and so we're closing it down so far for environmental and energy reasons but the thought process is pretty soon we should sublet it okay okay a couple of questions one on pay uh, and compensation and then one on uh, the four-day week how should companies pay fully remote workers? Because we've seen different companies doing different things around that. Oh, you've... <laughs> so you picked the most contentious two <laughs> topics that well, I uh, wrote two op-eds and then uh, put them on, on uh, LinkedIn and they spurred like hundreds, maybe by now thousands of comments. <laughs> so I'll tell you what the story was. I'm probably biased on my own telling of it, but I, I'm, I'm not strongly of one mind or another. I just tell the story. So twice in exec ed, I had executives coming to me with really the same story. And I'll tell you just one of them, but you know, the one, it's very similar to what she was saying. So the first one, she says, look, she owns a high-tech firm in Europe, doing very well. Uh, she is covering one country, they have about 20 employees in that one country. In that one country, an employee who's actually one of the top performers has moved from a high-cost inland city to a low-cost coastal city that's kind of has a resort. And she's like, fine, I don't care. The guy's still getting his job done. He's still performing yeah. really well. I'm going to lose him for my team. All would be okay, Except, well, A, they got regional paved with their country, and B, another employee spots this by noticing on his Zoom background that there's some kind of beach and say there is no beach in Milan. Like, you know, the, what the heck's going on? And so um, she's now like, I, I mean, she's stuffed. What is she supposed to do? She's like, on the one hand, she disciplines her highest performing employee, pisses him off, he leaves, probably annoys his friends as well, maybe destroys her group. Mm. Or she does nothing. In which case, she's basically condoning fraud and the other employee now is like festering and no doubt going to cause his or her own problems and the whole thing's going to come down. And I was like, well, I mean, you're trapped, you're screwed. This is the problem. Having these hyper-local pay systems are causing the manager to become the policeman. Mm. And every time employees move, say, because their spouse gets another job, you know, their pay scale moves, et cetera. And so I said, it, 
it, it, it was born out of the pandemic. I get where it came from. The pandemic born this thing whereby everyone was told, look, you're going to keep the pay of the office you've been in full yeah. time. Just, you know, just go away and everything will be fine. But of course, people moved and you suddenly find that someone coming from a high wage pandemic office and a low wage happened to now live near door next door to each other and they're paid different amounts. And it seems really unfair. And so then they started to move to paying people for where they live. Ultimately now, when I talk to companies, they are slowly moving to national pay skills. So national pay skills mean within each country, there's one pay for a job. Yeah. That would be my support. And that seems to be the majority of you. Around a big poll on LinkedIn, there's about more than a thousand people polled. And the last time I looked, I would say it was close. Local was, you know, second, but national was first. After that, my favorite would probably be my second would be global. Now, depends on the task, but if the task is say proofreading a document or data entry hmm. that really doesn't require any local skills, then if you're an American company, it's not obvious why you wouldn't outsource it to yeah. Brazil, Philippines, anywhere else. Now, you may say, well, you're taking jobs from Americans. An American would do that job. That is true in some ways. But A, company's role is not to provide jobs. Company's role is to maximize profits and growth. You know, the investors that they owe their, you know, they own them want them to do that. So I think it's in their fiduciary duty mm. to maximize, but you know, they're not there to kind of provide social goods. If they do great, but that's not their objective function. And secondly, the US is at full employment. We're actually struggling to find people to fill jobs. So it's not really a problem we're facing that whoever that is that isn't going to get that job probably has 10 other ones waiting for them. And you're effectively taking low-skilled jobs out of America and sending them to countries where they're medium-skilled jobs and actually that's improving development. Yeah. And then the other contentious topic is, is a four-day week. And obviously, yes. we're both British. There's been quite a lot of companies actually doing an experiment together around the four-day week. What are your, what are your thoughts around the, the four-day week um, and, and, and where it may go? So it got confused because there are actually four versions of it. Yes. And I'm going to call three of them muggle versions and one of them magic versions. So why don't I start with the magic version? which I think is hard, if not impossible, to achieve. I mean, like Harry Potter, most of what we read in Harry Potter doesn't happen. A little bit has by now, by technology. But so the magic version is we work the same number of hours per day. We work one less day a week, and we produce the same productivity. Oh. So what's required here is that you can be so much more productive, 25% more productive on the four days, that you can offset the loss of the fifth. And one way to get at that is to say, look, I've discovered that in my organization, I was wasting a day of completely inactive and pointless activity. Um, is that possible? Maybe. I don't want to claim that every organization is, is efficient. And maybe in the public sector and in not very competitive small industries. Having spoke to managers, certainly managers of competitive free market companies, they're pretty insulted and say, you know, I've never been aware of wasting a day a week. If I did, I would cut it out and be much more profitable. You know, that's the kind of thing government firms do that are just completely in a sleepy. Mm. So I think you can find firms that will you know, fit the magic criteria, but they're sleepy. And it tells you that they were in advance already very inefficient and they had vast amounts of slack to cut out. Yeah. Now, what about the three muggle versions? Uh, they are feasible and actually have quite a lot of an appeal. So number one is what I call shift sharing. So number one says, imagine we work, you know, 
let's say, eight hours a day for five days a week. We now say we're going to work 10 hours a day for four days a week. We're still working 40 hours. We just don't have one less day. We just took four longer days. It's great. Some people like it. There's less commuting. On the other hand, you know, some other people don't like it. You don't get to see your kids say, at yeah. dinner time and stuff. So, I mean, it wouldn't suit me, but it would suit some people. Or there's even three hours, three times a day for 13 hours a day. Second version of the muggle four-day week is part-time pay. So I say, David, you know what? You have been getting richer decade by decade because of American productivity growth is about 1.5% a year. And if you look back, Keynes and Nixon and various people said, you know, 30 years from now, we'll be working for three days because we're absorbed all the productivity growth. Why are we still working five? I, just, I, I think you should work four, take a 40, take a 20% pay cut. With that money, you can still afford more than what you could have bought 10 years ago or 15 mm. years ago. So just, you know, enjoy the productivity through more leisure. And we should be doing that as a society. Actually, as a society, we should be doing that. I really don't think why all this extra hard work should pass an even bigger TV and even faster Ferrari, even faster bandwidth. It's like, I don't know what we need it for. Why can't we just take a day off work? So I'm in favor of number two. And then number three is work from home on Friday, which has become called as the four-day week, Mm. which is still really working four, four and a half days. You're just working a bit more during the week and a bit less on on Friday and you're at home. So one, two, and three are great. M- more the better. Requires a bit of flexibility from firms. I just worried that they are getting thrown out. So that's saying throwing the baby out of the bathwater, thrown out with the magic version of number four, which, you know, uh, sends prickles up every manager's back when they have to think about it. Well, it's great. I think that might be the first time we've had a Harry Potter analogy on, <laughs> the, on the podcast. So that, that's really good. And, and Nick, this is, this is uh, the last question. And this is the one we're asking every, every guest this series. As we approach the end of 2023, what do you think will be the key priorities for HR uh, as we head into 2024? Yeah, better coordination and monitoring of hybrid work, actually. So for HR, their importance has risen a lot. So, you know, to everyone in the HR, it's like an enormous thank you. you know, I've been saying repeatedly to CEOs that because of the importance of performance management and the importance of hybrid, this is really an HR job. You need to put more resources into HR. HR, if it's not already, needs to be an executive role. And in fact, maybe space management needs to sit under HR rather than under the CFO because it feeds him. So HR just needs a bigger role. Companies are much more about people and that, that's the folks that run it. Specifically, the jobs that I think are hardest is managing hybrid around coordinating the days, which I think software and data collection is going to help a lot. Mm. Getting them to use desk booking, even if you've got enough desks, then getting the book desks provides information. It's like prices. The yeah. market economy thrives off prices. There may be too many of some product. We still want to know the prices to know how much each product does work. It's kind of like our, our, our blood, our information is prices. So for firms, you want desk booking to do the same. And then also some of all these more flexible tools for you know closing offices down and using desk aggregators. And then finally, performance management. So 360 to review, six-month feedback sessions, three-month interim. And some of this stuff's come comfortable. You have to give people bad news. I mean, one of the things about meaningful 360 reviews is if you get bad news, it is not a surprise. Like a bad performance review is I say, David, I've got bad news for you. You're like, what? And I tell you, you perform badly, you missed three targets. You're like, I mean, you should have known that months ago. Of course, yeah. So performance reviews isn't like, you know, the shit sandwiches, you just dump it all of them. It's like, well, as we've been talking about for a while, 
here's how I can help you, but be aware that this is a problem if it doesn't get fixed and in the next review we'll be taking sanctions. Yeah. Very good. Well, Nick, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. It's a, a nice, nice hors d'oeuvre for the session you'll be exactly running later. Right. Um, can you let lo- listeners know how they can get in touch, touch with you, follow you on social media and find out more about the research that you're publishing every month? Sure. Um, so the key thing is LinkedIn. Um, I also have a website called wfhresearch.com, as in workingfromhomeresearch.com. Yep. And between the two of them, we post pretty much everything. Yeah, and I certainly recommend any listeners that are interested in finding out more about this topic to to, to actually go down there, go every month and download the, the latest reports. You make them freely available. It's yeah. very easy. You click a button and the PDF is there. All to say, it's all freely available. You don't have to sign up to anything. No credit card teasers built. I mean, if you want to sign up a credit card, you're welcome. But <laughs> no, there are no credit card signups. No, you just download it. I mean, that's that, basically. Yeah. We're not selling your details. Well, Nick, thank you very much for being a guest on the HR Leaders Podcast. Thanks very much for having me on. That's all for this week's episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you found the discussion insightful and learned something new about navigating the complexities of hybrid and remote work models. Thanks again to Nick Bloom. If you did enjoy this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Until then, take care and stay well.